So this week we had Palma take us on one of his uh, psychedelic music journeys, but it turned out his audio was a bit too psychedelic and fucked up. Cause actually, I'll just play you a clip of what the first like 25 minutes of his audio sounded like. Sorry, my uh, uh, like Alex, which is uh, is now in uh, University of Europe. Uh, you have uh, Top Tape, who is now on Warner's. Yeah, you also have a couple of big moderates. Uh, no, uh, you have uh, a couple of So we've ended up with like half an episode here, but it's still worth taking a trek through this stuff. So I'm just gonna jump you right into like 25 minutes of the conversation. And if you have a problem uh, with that, you could take it up with Palma on Twitter. But I wouldn't if I was you. Generous about you know like outreach, you know like. Uh, sending out Brazilian uh, musicians to other countries like, I don't know, like the U.S. or Australia or sometimes, yeah, like around the continent. Um, my grandpa was uh, was one of those for El Salvador. Like he got hired by like the like police band or whatever to like okay. do like concerts in like Nicaragua. This is like in the th- 50s or whatever, 60s. Uh, that rocks. And, that rules. Yeah, he, he, got a, he got a gun and everything. <laughs> like he Amazing. had to be deputized and shit. <laughs> Uh, he left after one month because he didn't he didn't care for being a cop. But uh, but yeah, no, it's it's you had a lot of those like types of arrangements, I guess. Where uh, I mean, like if you wanted to tour, you would join the army or you'd join the uh, the police band. In Brazil, it was a little bit more advanced, of course. But uh, I mean, it, it, a lot of uh, bands toured because there were a lot more rich people in Brazil who could like you know give their kids money to do dumb shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or like go from school to school. Why don't we have police school. bands now? They still have police bands. Five finger death punch style bands. They, yeah, no, like Nigeria had that. Um, Nigeria had uh, a lot of like their psych rock bands were originally like army, like battalion bands, like just guys who got together and like decided they were gonna like do taps and shit in the morning and then psych out in the afternoon, like during the Biafra War. Jesus. <laughs> this is a little bit more in the uh, telenovela tone you can kind of like tell like how these were all produced kind of in the same room they kind of sound the same that way yeah yeah it's a good room i'm wondering if there was like if there was like you know a central mixing board that everyone used basically yeah uh you can kind of tell when uh uh a track was recorded in rio de janeiro or in uh sao paulo kind of just kind of by what kind of equipment they use or how it sounds on the high end or the low end or whatever. Um, for example, and, and mostly you can tell by the label, like Rio Globe, mm-hmm. or one of them is based in Sao Paulo, one of them is based in Rio de Janeiro, and they used studios in their home city. Uh, and I guess the only time they had ever really changed was if an artist really, really wanted to record out of town and right, uh, could right. footage on Bell. But anyway, yeah, I mean... You can definitely tell, like, there's, like, a little bit of difference in style between, like, each city. It's very interesting. Uh, Sometimes you get it to stuff that's up in the far north, and it's because they mix for different genres. It sounds completely different when they try to do rock and roll or soul or, like, synth stuff. Right, right. Was there a big synth wave in Brazil? Oh, yeah, big time. Um, We're going to listen to a little bit more of the soul side of that with, uh, with some of the tracks there. If you want to, we can skip to the next one, um, which is kind of getting a little closer to like the synthy sound. Um, sure, sure, we? let's do it. Yeah, this and is Anna Mazzucci, uh, 
She's, uh, I think her family's originally Italian, which is why this particular song is in Italian. Uh, this is an Italian cover of, uh, I think, fairly popular song of hers. I think one of her only hits that ever got like on the radio and stuff. I wonder what her family did during the Second World War. I, I don't want to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to ignore it. Yeah. Because it so happens. They just made music. They just made music. They were well, a that's a, band. Some kind of uh, army band. Yeah. yeah, like Mussolini. Mussolini's daughter was like a synth pop girl in like Japan. Oh, that's right. She's still a yeah. fascist, though. Yeah. Uh, her dad Her dad was... Um, oh, sorry. That's her granddaughter or his granddaughter. Yeah. Her dad was uh, like a pretty good jazz player, jazz pianist. Um, but anyway, anyway, Anamazuchi uh, got her friends who happened to be uh, Azimut, who are a very, very famous Brazilian like funk band, called in a couple of favors and recorded this. Um, like at her workplace, which happened to be uh, TV Globo. I think she worked in like the cultural department or something like that, or had some sort of arrangement with the studio owner or something. But um, this is very much like a private press affair. And she, right. one of the things that you do when you're a struggling singer songwriter is uh, see if you can try to do it interna internationally. You know, like a lot of Brazilians had moved to Italy uh, during the. Uh, you know, military, uh, you know, government, and, you know, they made it pretty big, and so there was a market for it. Unfortunately, it never really went anywhere, but it's it's such a great track. Um, I gotta say, the, it's the wah clavinet, whatever's going on there, yes. is fucking amazing. It's just, yeah, it is, it's an approach to uh, putting a wah-wah pedal on a clavinet that's just very extreme. <laughs> it's like very she, extra. She has a... Unfortunately, she died in uh, in the '80s. She had uh, breast cancer, but uh, her family has digitized a lot of her like public TV, like public access, um, like appearances, and, th and they're great. They're all great. It's it's great live TV, and, and uh, she really jams out with with a really awesome band. N not as much, unfortunately, but still very good. Yeah, this is great. The rhythm section is incredible on this. Oh my god, yeah. yeah every uh, time the bass player goes all in. It's stupid good. All these songs. That's uh, Ivan Conchi, who's a fantastic bass player. You can go through Discogs through his like works, through what he's done, and like it's all bangers. Like He is blacking out of the booth every time. <laughs> he, he brings it every fucking time. It's, it's crazy. I love him. This baseline is—he's—it's so subtle. He's like pushing ahead of the beat just a tiny little bit, which is kind of counterintuitive to bass playing. Where like he's not behind the beat. He's—he's he's just a little bit ahead, and then he lays back. It's—it's it's rad. Oh my god, yeah, masterful. Uh, what are we getting into here? This this track here, up next is uh, kind of the same thing that I was telling you guys about before. The Brazilian government once in a while. Um, you know, like, in, or, or sends out Brazilian musicians or invites musicians from other countries to come to Brazil to, like, you know, do goodwill missions and stuff, you know, kind right. of, like, uh, kind of push their image away from, like, hey, we disappear a million people every, people every year, uh, uh, innocents who, you know, some other, uh, some people call the communist, and now suddenly he's in, like, a, a police van with uh, a battery, uh, you know, wired to his nutsack. 
Um, yeah. And so this is kind of one of the things that they that they put out. And this is uh, Dom Burrows, who's a very great uh, Australian uh, flautist. Uh, had Bernier and Cartier, who are two uh, fantastic singer-songwriters from Brazil. Um, one of them, I believe, Bernier, is uh, Louise Bonfa from, like, you know, Black Orpheus. Uh, mm-hmm. That's his... That's his nephew or son or something. Black so, like, Morpheus? Black Morpheus, yeah. Black Morpheus. White <laughs> From Morpheus. From the Matrix? Yeah, yeah. From the Matrix, yeah. Feeling and like Neo. White Morpheus. <laughs> anyway, that, that, yeah, this, this, this flute line is really hitting me like Black Morpheus right now. It's <laughs> like the, um, this guy, uh, uh, Don Burroughs had a great string quartet and, and, uh, like jazz, like trio or, Quintet or whatever, just like a bunch of people from like the state orchestras and stuff. Um, he would get, like, get together and jam and like record every uh, everything and, and and like that that would be his his deal, you know. He had a lot of like really jazzy, funky influences. A lot of like Milton Hubbard, uh, like CTI, Creed Taylor, and it, it the way that it elevates like this Brazilian rhythm is mm-hmm. is is really fr- fucking crazy. I mean, it sounds like it was made. Uh, made to measure. It's awesome. I'm in the, I'm in the middle of recording demos right now and I know that after we finish recording this episode I got to go back and like do some mixing, <laughs> work on a guitar solo, and I I'm pretty happy with what I'm working on right now, but I know that when I go back and fire up the mixer, play everything back, I'm just going to be like I suck shit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, you need to get that Brazilian bassist on. I need album. a flautist. Get, you gotta get yeah. some tropical vibes going. Yeah, that's right. You gotta get a parrot. This solo over here fucking rocks, man. It, I, I it's play insane. this back and needle drop it like once a night, like when I'm absolutely bombed out, because it just blows my fucking mind every time. It's crazy. Yeah. Going in. Going all in. This, if I'm not mistaken, is George Gala, who's another Australian guy who's uh, quite a good guitarist on his own right. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, this song goes over and over, like over the limit for me. Maybe it's my this own. Too good. Maybe it's my own racism, but I don't um, associate Australia with jazz. <laughs> you know. A lot of people don't, and 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 you're missing out. There's a lot of great shit, like Rene Geyer. There's uh, Sven Lubeck, who's not Australian. He's Norwegian, but he, he happened to live there for a long time, and that's where he did his thing. Um, there's Wolf Mother. Uh, Jet. Yeah. <laughs> there's uh, even more recently. There's there's uh, Mild Life, who's a, a great jazz funk band from Melbourne, which sounds sounds terrible to say, but it's true. Uh, as much as I hate people from there, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's quite an annoying city to be from, but uh, yeah, it, but it's a, it's a great fucking band. They're putting out a great uh, like live album uh, that they recorded like in the middle of the fucking ocean or whatever. Like they found some old army barracks. Anyway, this is not an, a mild life episode, but it's a very good band and worth checking out. Great jazz. Yeah, this is great. I love this. Wonderful guitar tone. Mm-hmm. Or that might be a clavinet. That's definitely yeah, a clavinet. Right now. Yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah, right now. The guitar tone was very good too. 
Heavy compression, but not anything else. It's a good sound. Yeah. Yeah, this almost sounds like like if you uh, if you kind of take away the uh, diminished chords, it kind of sounds like television guitar solo, the clavinet. It's awesome. Oh yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I think you're right. Totally. Yeah. This is from around the same time. The I think this is up. 1978. Mm-hmm. Queen pick near the bridge. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, th- this is actually uh, the songwriters Bernier and, and Cartier. They're, they're so so good. This is uh, basically just like an, uh, a eulogy for a friend of theirs, Ed Klieger, um, who I, I guess apparently died homeless in Brazil. He had like a drug problem or something. That, that's what I can get from the lyrics. I haven't done a shit ton of research into who this guy was, but it's a great groove. Uh, it's in one of their studio albums, and that's also very worth checking out. Yeah, this is crazy. Crazy good. I kind of wish I had heard this at the beginning of the summer because uh, my summertime jams would have been a lot different. Yeah, it really goes. I, I think they just repeat the the chorus if you guys want to uh, go to the next track. Yeah, sure. we can do I'm that. Down. So this is. Is that a dog barking? No, that's a saxophone. <laughs> is a dog playing it? Yeah, I think it would be really cool it. if it was. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, this intro is actually pretty cool. This is extremely my shit. Uh, <laughs> oh, listen right. to that glissando. Ooh, the album cover, too, is just... Mm. This great, is from great a font. state-sponsored, um, like, cultural... Uh, like, cultural appreciation, in quotation marks, like, uh, release from the record company. I guess, like, as a tax incentive or whatever, like, if you have traditional XYZ whatever music um, you'll save like whatever percentage in taxes something like that right uh, they had some sort of incentive from the state so they uh, hired like their own like uh, you know house bands or like local bands to like come on and like do covers and stuff and so this is a cover of uh, a very famous tune by Banda Black Rio uh, which is like a very Solely, soul infused, um, like late 70s jazz funk ensemble. Very famous, very good. Um, all of them, like, incredible players in their own right. And this guy comes up and just, like, blows them out of the fucking water with this cover. So um, good. Marcos Resendi was this uh, keyboardist out of Rio de Janeiro. And Index was, like, his, his band that he jammed with at this, you know, nightclub or whatever. And I guess he was one of the lucky ones to get us asked to do one of these records. Really, like, you know, go forward and back on all of Brazilian uh, folklore from, you know, like the oldest candomblé, which, you know, like most traditional or whatever candomblé recordings to, um, you know, what was really happening in 78, which was jazz funk. Yeah, yeah. Really move it forward. I kind of feel like Canada... Um would do this if it had any kind of like long historical culture you know it, it kind of did and uh i mean I, I guess in terms of like uh recording first nations like there was a, a big push to record uh and and like for 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, like Willie, yeah, w- Willie Dunn, like all those records. Yeah, like uh, all those like CBC Records studios or whatever, like Northern Service uh, the cl- records. The, the the I mean, all you need to know about the story of that is that it took an American record label to uh, reissue yeah. that shit. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, there's no real interest in Canada to do it, which is really a huge shame. Yeah, a lot uh, of. A lot of those albums, like that uh, Native North America compilation, a lot of those albums were actually found in uh, Nanaimo, on the island where I grew up, uh, where Arlen from Wolf Parade lives. But they, uh, there's a record store there called Fascinating Rhythm, and a lot of those albums ended up at Fascinating Rhythm and got uh, kind of crate dug from there. That's nice. awesome. Also, Willie Dunn occasionally... Uh, was busking in Nanaimo during the, during the time I was there recording the last Wolf Parade record. You could occasionally see him on the street busking. Damn, R.I.P. Cool. to a yeah. master. Yeah. A real a real pimp, honestly. Yeah, that's that's Resende. He, he has a he has a real big penchant for like that sort of R.P. like very very heart attack sound. It's very psychedelic, and the panning too is insane. Yeah, this is another song like a lot of them we've talked about, where the bass line's awesome, and just like all those sort of like auxiliary percussions, really great. I mean, that's that's There's just so many like things the, going the, the on, core. and they're all like perfectly mixed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, just great arrangements in general, like complex arrangements uh, that all vibe really well together. Yeah, those floating string pads panning across the stereo field are really nice. It sounds like a maybe like a Selena with like a phaser on it or something. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, honestly, I think this is kind of the reason why it's so in, insane, at least to me now, with like pop music being the way it is now and, and seeing how this used to be pretty much pop music back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, um, I, I guess like one of the main reasons why this has kind of died down is that, um, I mean, not a lot of people are creative enough, creative enough to like produce an entire rhythm section like this or like this upcoming track which is an insane co-production uh, between two of my favorite producers um Ooh, but nice. like it, it's very hard for them to like for, for one particular person i guess to like lay out such a great song every single time and it's insane to me that these brazilian brazilians were able to do it to such a high degree to the point that they had all these forgotten you know um you know, bangers like this. Uh, this is Debora by, by Altai Veloso. And this is moving a little further into the 80s, uh, 83. Oh, yeah. And this is, I guess, kind of late, late in the season for this kind of sound. But I guess it was still popular enough from Brazil to the point that, you know, albums like this still got made. Yeah. Um, Brazil maybe didn't have the same reactionary thing that happened in the U.S. against disco. Oh no, like this this was like very popular. The, I'm sure like from here on out like it's it's not that obscure, you know. These these were really popping back in the day. If I'm not mistaken, this is um with Robson Georgi on guitar, sorry, and Lincoln Olivetti on on keyboards and synth. Um and, and these two guys were like the the rock, like they were the gambling huff of 
like Brazil's um, like Philadelphia International Records, basically. Yeah. Uh, th- they were like th- just the solid production team. Um, I'd, I'd go a, li- a little further. I'd say they're even like on the level of uh, like the Mazel Brothers for like Blue Note. Right. This is what they get. They did for their their home label. They they were just like cranking out hit after hit after hit with like every other like band that had been big in the seventies that was kind of waning. Mm-hmm. They basically, I I would hazard to say, he saved all their careers and then some. Um, really launched them into superstardom, like Rita Lee, like all these like people from Tropicalia, all these people who uh, did like protest songs in the seventies who were kind of like perennially locked away by the government. And uh, tied to a car battery, you know, like yeah. now they're really, really making it with this guy. Why did they get so into shocking people? I know um, we taught them how to do it, but they really took to it. Maybe it's the only—it's kind of foolproof, honestly. You know, you just gotta touch the, make contact. It's the uh, proto Kubrick manual, you know. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever read that. Uh, CIA like counterinsurgency handbook. Nah. You can find it. Oh, yeah, I read it on my first day there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can find it's easy to find online, but it's, uh, if you want to, yeah, if you want to see where all that stuff came from, why people were getting uh, their nuts uh, attached to car batteries, just read that. Very it's... Looney Tunes inspired CIA manual. Yeah. Did any of the cars have batteries in them? Uh, yeah, no, they were all crank start, so they had to, like, you know, crank up your nutsack, basically. (laughs) This has a really nice airy kind of chrome to it, you know? Like, it's still rich, like the other songs, sonically, but it's it it sounds 80s without being, like, an abrasive uh, digital 80s, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good a song to get your nutsack between... cranked up to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. S- sorry, I, I, I meant to append. I, I, I looked up the discogs for this. It's not by these two guys I was telling you about. This is by uh, Gyro Pires, who is like kind of in the same like milieu, I guess. It, it, it's very similar to like their style of of production, like the same kind of like airy, um, like. Um, like a, just just a little bit wide soundstage, you know, like making it really ample, kind of working with the, you know, uh, kind of kind of the same output, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Or the same style. It sounds like a it sounds like a cloud, like a like a chrome cloud. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I mean like these guys uh, still had access to like all these old studio. Uh, all this old studio stuff, which works beautifully, like hearing like a synth line through uh, an actual honest-to-god concrete echo chamber, like built in the 30s or whatever. I'm sure it sounds yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about studios that I, I mean, eventually they did it, they did get quite advanced, like in the 80s, um, but in the 70s, like we're start we're still talking like 16 track, um, you know, the same set that they'd been recording with since the since the uh, you know 60s or whatever so when you're still kind of lagging a little bit behind when and you start uh, seeing like uh, drum machine stuff entering pop music in Brazil like roughly the same same time it hits like, 
a analog wise, I mean, Brazil kind of caught on pretty early, like in the late 70s. Um, but uh, it didn't really catch on in terms of like using it uh, with absolutely every recording until like the 90s. Right, right. Or even still, like there was still quite a, a big a market for drummers and stuff, you know. It, it wasn't just like drum machines, as, you know. Um, if anything, it would be just for percussion. They wouldn't use it for like. Uh, it doesn't seem like that to me, at least. Not. It's not like the spine of the of the song or whatever. Yeah. I mean, in, in pop music, I guess for sure. I mean, if you're moving kind of in the same direction as, um, as most pop music worldwide. I mean, uh, in, in in terms of what you would get for uh, a drum machine, you could just pay like. A guy that would be pretty damn good anyway, you know. Yeah. It seems like there were a lot of really good drummers. Yeah, that's kind of why I was asking. Like, yeah. Like, what happened? What happens to? Uh, what happens with drum machines when you have a country just filled with incredible percussion players? Like, I mean, it, it it works if you're doing it stylistically, but like that runs out eventually, and then after that, it just never really comes back up. Yeah. I, I guess that doesn't reflect well on like British or German drummers. Yeah, not, not yeah, especially different, or different style of drumming. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, 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 like the like the guy from Can is like an incredible, or or the drummer from Noise, an incredible drummer. He's just going for like ten. Yeah, they were trying to be drum machines. Yeah, for like they're trying to be robots. They're ahead of their time. Yep. Yeah, no, this is decidedly much more swingy and jazzy. This, German people drum like is, this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was going to say this last track was kind of like uh, Tim Maya. They, they got some Tim Maya. Oh, yeah. We talked about him before with you. Throwback. Yeah. This is uh, La Droz de Bagda by Fabio Fonseca. This is really where you get the, um, the drum machines. Is that what you were talking to me about it? Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, Our, I, mean, this, th I think I was talking to you, or like the song before this, actually. But, yeah. Okay, oh, okay, yeah. never mind. Which answers the question, though. Accidentally very, predicting it. Yeah. Very timely. I was going to take it this way anyway. Um, eventually, yes, this is more or less the point in time where um, drum machines take over is in the mid 90s. Um, with rap, I guess, and like electro and things like that, of course, it was, they were going to have drum machines. But a lot of it was just like drummers on like pads mm -hmm. uh, playing this. And and most of the time it is that because that is like the most cost effective way to like record. It sounds like a drum machine because most drummers there are pretty damn good anyway. Um, but I think this was uh, on, on a drum machine, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't looked at the uh, liner notes in a while, but... Um, but this was a huge hit in, in the 90s, just like massive. And I don't think people really got it here in the States because I think it's it's just so perfect. Um, it's it's a really honest to goodness, excellent pop hit that should have made it internationally. Yeah, yeah this could have been a hit. Maybe in the same level as Numa Numa, but like a hit is still a hit, you know, like... <laughs> Dragostadi Ney was was still a banger of a track. So I guess if you're singing along to make fun of it, you're 
kind of in on you better be in on the joke <laughs> yeah totally it is true like it's really hard to have a hit they in the u.s let gary brosma in the band yeah but it's, it's really hard to have a non-english hit in the u.s it's almost impossible or at least like an underground hit you know like hitting the fucking dj charts or something but nothing nothing at all so did did the uh, sort of end of history like 90s phenomenon of um international bands singing in english for domestic audiences happen in brazil or is the culture just too monolithic like is it too strong i mean kind of i mean brazil is has a lot stronger culture than people give it credit for uh a lot of it is is genuinely or brazil is genuinely a, a very strong uh culture that is you know kind of hard to dilute kind of in the same way that american culture is or like spanish culture is i guess um it so is sort of like uh flip side america yeah it's de definitely flip side america and it, and it has a lot of american culture has like kind of seeped into a lot of latin america backwards that way you know like the the music is still different but like you still have to like you have jokes about the mortgage and like ah the mother-in-law and shit like that you know what i mean mm -hmm. So in, in, in a way, yeah, like Americanization has been happening, just not culturally, more like economically and, um, in an, I guess, every other way, except really cultural. I mean, honestly, BTS is, is the most, is, is the biggest threat to, um, to American to cultural, culture. American to cultural any, hegemony. Yeah, like, yeah. Or to any culture even, because it, it'll do the same thing to to um sorry to brazil that it has done here in the states where like you can't talk about anything uh you know you can't call it boys that stink without like getting swatted to death fortune kit is pro bts i just want to yeah we love our boys we love jim we love jimmy jim and jimmy two of my favorite boys boys that sing speaking of Speaking of uh, BTS, this is Voluntarno uh, BTS. Uh, this is. Um, Wait, we still have one more on here. We have Junior Mendez right now. Yeah, right? we're listening oh, to. Sorry. Tuk Tropical. All right then. Well, yeah. Okay. One last one. This is the guy that's in Miami, by the way. This is, uh, yeah, like one of my favorite tracks of all time. Breaks are great. Yeah, I think we went back to the 70s here, it looks like. Yeah, this is, uh, this was my option, I guess, of, of, uh, what options I had, I guess, of, uh, closing out the show. I could go with something familiar, like the 70s stuff, or go with something even more insane, which we could get into later. But this yeah, is a now little bit of a Yeah, um, I, I think this is also like a soap opera theme of some sort, or like they used it on there. But um, but yeah, like this this guy is is fucking great. All these songs are perfect for a montage of someone that, like walking cool through the city. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Some guy in platform shoes. I think all this mid to late 70s stuff we've listened today to today is like the coolest stuff to me. Yeah. Just like same. insane arrangements, great rhythm sections, such a pleasant vibe. 
It's perfect. Yeah, no, they were, they were like slowly, uh, you know, getting even more and more slick. And they got to like the sweet spots, the Goldilocks zone, where they slicked up all the old soul stuff, um, you know, and improvised a lot and uh, had a, a beautiful, happy, uh, happy product. This music is making me forgetting that I'm uh, forget that I'm I'm just like sweltering in the kitchen at the studio right now with the box <laughs> fan pointed at my head, um, waiting for it to rain, a hot rain. I don't care anymore. I just I love I feel good, feel cool. You're living in a favela. Yeah, you're, that's you're, right. You're on the yeah. beach, man. You're on the beach. I'm on the beach. Somebody, I'm gonna reach out the window and someone is gonna hand me a caipirinha. That was the first time I ever got fucked up was I had a caipirinha with my uncle in France. He was uh, like, hey, you want to go out, uh, have a drink? And I was like 16 at the time. I was like just there to visit. And, uh, oh. huh? Now, here we go. Here's the MC Maha. MC Maha. Oh, yeah. This is insane. It's, it's my favorite, like, modern uh, dance track. Yeah, what's going on here lyrically? This guy's talking about wanting to get into BTS. So this guy's basically Brazilian Tom. He's Brazilian Tom. Yeah. Uh. It's it's. I can't tell if it's tongue in cheek or or if it's genuine. But either way, I fully support it. The new BTS lineup is going to be this guy, Tom, Nate, <laughs> Nate, yeah, definitely Nate. Nate. Oh, and Drew. Robin, of course, Robin Hatch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's new BTS. Funky, 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 This guy rocks because he looks, he looks, uh, like he's insanely underweight. <laughs> like he, nice. <laughs> And I he's like, like that. he looks short. Uh, he looks like tiny. He looks like he weighs like 90 pounds. Yes. I mean, speaking of BTS, like flattening music culture around the world, though, this song is also a reflection of that, where there's so many things going on here that are just typical of any like global pop music right now. I mean, a little bit is is uh, still Brazilian. You can still kind of hear like the like the rhythm, maybe the the rhythm definitely. But like, that's, um, uh, city in the actual rhythm from like. The instrumentation, though, and like the vocal style, is very just kind of the, the drum pack itself is, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It could be from anywhere in Latin America. Like it sounds like, uh, like, uh, have you heard of Nyega Nyega tapes or something like that? Like yeah. these Tanzanian like dance hall. It's all dance hall stuff. Yeah, that yeah, got yeah. big. Which honestly, fucking rocks. It's all great music. I, I dance hall rules. Dance hall is fucking amazing. Mid like early to mid nineties dance hall is super like the the height of like Elephant Man. Um, I think I think we should do a dance hall episode on Fortune Kit, and I think we should watch Elephant Man's uh, Elephant Man the Energy God workout video, which is basically oh, oh my sure. God, it's yes, so fucking good. It's just basically Elephant Man wheezing his way through a workout video, doing all these different dances, including. Um, the Scooby, uh, something called Signal the Plane, um, something called Fan the Moth, and uh, just getting winded immediately. Like, it's it, it's it's, <laughs> gr- it's great. Hell yeah! 
Um, yeah, but thanks for stopping by again, Palma, to uh, take of us on course. the little journey here. Of course. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very happy to be on. Uh, I mean, Brazilian music is, is definitely a lot more than just uh, uh, soap opera theme, su- uh, theme songs and, uh, you know, like crazy little, uh, you know, running interference for, <laughs> for you know, uh, like all their disappearances and tortures or whatever. But um, <laughs> well, but it's it's... This is just how deep it, it can go. It can go certainly much deeper. Was um, there was there a post punk uh, sort of reaction to state oh. repression in in Brazil? Kind of like uh, the Italian sort of no wave scene during the years of lead. Sure. I mean, it, it wasn't. Uh, it was post punk for sure. But the, the the underlying genre that used to go with instead was. Um, either pop music because that that had been the tradition since forever right was to do it with pop music or um or or, or just like reggae you know like like, uh if you didn't have anything else to uh to contribute i guess musically yeah Uh, yeah just like (laughs) hitch it on (laughs) reggae we gotta do a part two man we we definitely have to do a part two uh i i I know i owe you guys a part two on yugoslavian funk and soul yeah kind of like that eastern block uh stuff so whenever you guys want to do that i mean in the next couple of months i'm one million percent down yeah you're welcome back anytime yeah absolutely Quero ver o mundo.